Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, How to Be More Resilient. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Still. We're looking at various Bible passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Passages that teach us to be still in faith and to stand still in faithfulness. Another word for this kind of life is resilient. There's a certain branch of psychology today called resilience research. And some of those psychologists look at what make some people endure during tough times while other people collapse. There was a well-reported study a few years ago where researchers gathered together 2,000 participants from various ages, various walks of life, various races, various levels of income. And at the beginning of the study, they asked them to indicate what crises, what traumas they had already faced in life, such as divorce or the death of a spouse or a friend or surviving a natural disaster or a serious illness and so on. And then across the next few years, they were asked to occasionally report on how they were dealing with their current crises. And the researchers found that there were actually two groups of people who had the hardest time with uh, the current troubles that they were going through. The first group of people, not not surprisingly, were those who had dealt with a lot of trauma in their past. But surprisingly, the second group that had the hardest time dealing with their current troubles were those who had faced no trauma in their past. In fact, the researchers found that they tended to catastrophize their current troubles in equal measure to those who had faced a lot of trauma. To catastrophize means to imagine in your mind that what you're going through now is insurmountable and will overwhelm you. Now what the study showed then is that too many traumas can weaken resilience, but too few traumas make it impossible to develop any sort of resilience at all. And that's because whenever you go through tough times, you discover coping skills and you find resources that can help you deal with that. And the more you discover those coping skills and find those resources, the more confident you will feel the next time you go through a trouble that you'll have those coping skills to deal with and those resources to draw on. Now, 2,600 years before that psychological research, God told a young prophet the same thing. In Jeremiah chapter 12, when Jeremiah was a young prophet, he complained to God about all the opposition that he was facing. And God said, you ain't seen nothing yet, Jerry. Now, that's the TGV, the Tom Goodman version. But here is Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5 in the NIV. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? Jeremiah was apparently a young man when he had this conversation with God. Uh, Judah was ruled by a good king at that time, King Josiah. And Josiah instituted a number of reforms that would, would be good for the people of God. And young Jeremiah went throughout the land uh, recommending that people support those reforms. And in a lot of places that he went, he was well received. But it, 
not in every place. And interestingly enough, the place he was most resisted was in his own hometown of Anathoth. In fact, God revealed to him that there were some men in his hometown that wanted to put him to death. And Jeremiah was able to escape. And after he caught his breath, he began to consider that scare that he had just gone through. And he began to wonder about the justice of God who would let the wicked people flourish while he, a young prophet, who was just doing what God told him to do, he was facing all this hardship. And this is what he says at the beginning of Jeremiah chapter 12, starting in verse 1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Doesn't that sound like any one of us when we were younger? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. And then he's angry. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked, the animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, God, he will not see what happens to us. And so God answers him. He answers his complaint in verse 5. But not in the way that Jeremiah had expected. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? In other words, God was saying, don't tell me, Jeremiah, that you are tuckered out in this little hundred-yard dash with other men. Because if that's the case, how are you going to do against your race against thoroughbred horses in the future? And in fact, the plot to kill Jeremiah in his hometown was really just the scrimmage before the big game. Because eventually, good King Josiah died. And the kings who replaced him were far more wicked. And so he faced far more opposition, far more persecution later in life under the reigns of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. Now, I think the way God responds to Jeremiah's complaining in chapter 12 is a unique and surprising answer from God that we might be ready to hear in our own suffering and our own difficulties. How have other people spoken into your suffering in the past? You've complained about something you're going through, and even if you didn't ask for it, somebody's going to give you their advice. What did they say? Kate Bowler is a professor at Duke Divinity School. She was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer when she was in her mid-30s. And over the years, she as a believer has had an opportunity to speak to very diverse groups and write about her experiences in some very secular places, such as the New York Times. In the New York Times article, she said that there are three times of conversations that she often finds herself in, three different types of people who very uh, helpfully <laughs> respond to her difficulties that she's going through. She calls them minimizers and teachers and solvers. The ones she labels minimizers may sing, say things like, look at others who have it worse. You could have been born in poverty in a foreign country. And then there are the ones who are called teachers who say, you know, God is teaching you something if you'll just listen to him. And then there are the solvers, always the solvers, who say something like this, if you'll just do X, Y, or Z, if you'll just go on this diet, if you'll just do this, everything will work out just fine. When you've been in your tough times, what kind of people have helpfully and unhelpfully 
said things to you. Uh, there are sometimes people who say, cheer up. Look at all that you have left. And there are other people who say, cheer up. Look at those who have it worse than you. Others might say, cheer up. These tough times won't last. But God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 12, cheer up. The worst is yet to come. <laughs> now, I don't recommend you say that to somebody in suffering. But certainly God has the right and the authority to say that to us sometimes, even in our tough times. God was saying, Jeremiah, you'd better learn to trust me now so that your faith will be strong enough in the tougher times that are to come. I told some of you before about Warren and Andre Bird. They could have uh, received this kind of advice from God. This Air Force family went through three headline-grabbing disasters in the course of three straight years. They were at Travis Air Force Base when a major earthquake hit the San Francisco Bay Area. They felt the tremors, but nothing was damaged. The Air Force then moved them to Clark Air Base in the Philippines just in time for Mount Pinatubo, the volcano, to explode and their Buick and all their belongings were covered under a thick layer of ash. Right after that, the Air Force moved them to Homestead Air Force Base in South Florida just in time to meet Hurricane Andrew. And the hurricane crushed yet another of their cars and demolished their home. And when the Air Force moved them from there to Langley Air Base in Virginia, homeowners in the area heard about it and decided to increase their homeowner's insurance policies. Now, what are the odds of being in the middle of three headline-grabbing disasters all within the span of three years, and each one was just simply preparing them for a worse one to come? Could it be that the things that you experienced in the past, the tough times you went through in the past, were just God's gracious way of preparing you to deal with the tough time you're facing now? Or could it be that the tough time you're facing now is God's gracious way of preparing you to stay faithful to Him and faith-filled in Him in the tougher times to come. Now, let me be clear on this. If we're trying to come up with a reason for suffering, there is no one answer that is going to cover all the range of suffering that we go through. So sometimes hardship comes as a consequence of our sin. And sometimes God permits painful times to come into our lives to develop a truth in our lives that we never would have learned in more serene times. And sometimes God permits troubles to come into our lives so that we can be a living testimony that might draw others to him finally. And sometimes we go through tough times and there's not an answer we're never ever going to get on this side of heaven. But sometimes, according to Jeremiah chapter 12, God permits hardships to come into our lives as a gracious and kind way to prepare us for tougher times to come. And so here's the principle. Here's how to become a more resilient person. We will have a faith strong enough to face the big stuff if we develop our faith in the small stuff. That's the principle for becoming a more resilient person. Now we accept this principle in every other area of life. Why are we so reluctant to receive this principle when it comes to our souls? Out in uh, West Texas Ranch, a mesquite tree is hard to pull up. Why? Because its roots go down sometimes as deep as 30 feet 
to try to find a source of water. And yet, when a windstorm comes across a West Texas plain, those mesquite trees stay rooted. They don't get uprooted because those roots are so deep. So one crisis, the need for water, leads them to be able to endure another crisis, a windstorm. Or, or imagine uh, the experience with your own body. Some of you have, some of you have had hip replacement surgery. My time is not yet. I tell people I'm somewhere between hip and hip replacement. Some of you might be like that too, but some of you face hip replacement surgery. And right after that hip replacement surgery, let's say it was knee replacement surgery, what happened? A therapist came in and started almost immediately working your leg back and forth and back and forth. Now, was that because that physical therapist took great pleasure in causing you pain? No, well, probably not. Uh, it was more likely because that person knew you needed to go through a relatively small, controlled, managed level of pain at this point so that your body would be ready to deal with walking later on. So we understand in the world of nature, we understand in the world of our bodies that we have to work our muscles in order for them to develop. This is true in the world of the spirit as well. We need to work our faith. Our faith has to be exercised. It has to push back against some sort of resistance in order for it to be strong when we need it to be strong. And that may be why God is taking you through some experiences you're facing now. In his kindness, God is getting you ready for th something tougher. Or you're facing the toughest time in your life right now, but you know that you can deal with it because of all that God has taken you through before. You know, when I got certified in scuba diving some years back, some of you have gone through scuba diving, you know this process. They take you into a swimming pool and you're submerged in just about six feet of water. So you're just a couple of feet from the surface. And they take you through the exercises of uh, tossing your, your regulator behind you, your breathing apparatus, and then you find the hose and you can bring that uh, breathable air once again to your mouth. And they tell you how to take off your mask and then put it back on and clear it of water so you can see again. They take you, they show you how to take the octopus, the, the, the uh, auxiliary breathing apparatus, and, and, and hand it over to your partner if you find that your partner underwater is facing difficulty breathing with their regulator. And they do all these other exercises. And then they take you into 20 feet of water in that, in that swimming pool. And they go through the same exercises in the same order. And then they take you out into open water, uh, uh, an ocean or a lake, and they bring you down 60 feet. And what do they do? Do they do a set, different set of exercises there? No, they do the exact same exercises. What are they doing? They're trying to let you know that all the things that they taught you to solve a problem underwater, all those things that you learned in six feet of water, they're still yours. They're still there for you in 60 feet of water. God takes us from relatively shallow depths of trouble to deeper depths of trouble. But in the shallow depths of trouble, he's giving us these promises. He's giving us these things that are true. And guess what? They're still true in 60-foot depth of trouble. We need to recognize that. And so what promises am I talking about? The Bible promises that God comforts us with a peace that passes understanding. The Bible promises us that God guides us with his holy word like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The Bible promises us that God is present. Somebody said that they had counted up that there was 365 times the Bible says do not be afraid. One for every day of the year. 
The Bible promises us that God empowers us with a strength that the unbeliever cannot know. The Bible gives us all these promises that we can use in tough times. But here's the thing. We don't need to just know them with our mind. We need to experience them. And so God takes us into six-foot depth of trouble. And we experience all of these things and we find them true. And then God takes us into 20-foot depth of trouble. And we find that all of these promises are still true. And then he takes us into 60-foot depth of trouble. And, 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 and when we've got six stories of pressure over us, nevertheless, everything that we learned in the shallower experiences are still true in the deeper experiences as well. In 1927, at the age of 54, the Scottish minister A.J. Gossip suffered a terrible crisis. His uh, wife died suddenly and unexpectedly. And of course he faced uh, heartbreak, he faced crisis, he was out of the pulpit for a while, but when he went back into the pulpit, he decided that his first subject would be what God had taught him during his crisis time. And his first passage of scripture then would be Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. Here's a little bit of what he had to say in that very famous sermon back in 1927. He's reflecting on what it may have been for Jeremiah to be reflecting on the injustice of God. And he says, here is a man who, musing upon the bewilderments of life, has burst into God's presence, hot, angry, stunned by his ordering of things, with a loud babble of clamorous protest. It is unfair, he cries, unfair. And frowningly, he looks into the face of the Almighty. is unfair. And then suddenly, he checks himself. For after all, he asks himself, what is it you have to complain about so far? Nothing that everybody does not share. Only the usual little rubs and frets and ills of life that fall to everyone, no more. And if these have broken through your guard pushed aside your religion, made you so sour and peevish and cross toward God, God help you what will happen when sudden as a shell screaming out of the night, some one of the great crashing dispensations bursts in your life and leaves an emptiness where there had been a home, a tumbled ruin of your ordered ways, a heart so sore you wonder how it holds together. You see what he was saying? He was saying that Jeremiah needed to learn how to trust God in the relatively lesser stuff so that he could deal confidently with what God was doing in his life in the tougher times. But he adds this, and I want you to notice his warning. He says, it is a bit late in the day to be talking about insurance when one's house is ablaze from end to end, and somewhat tardy to be searching for something to bring one through when the test is upon one. What's he saying? He's saying that you and I need to learn how to trust God now in the challenges that we're dealing with now so that we can be ready to deal with the tougher stuff when it comes. Will you and I have a faith to see us through when those tougher times come? Phillips Brooks, he is the uh, American pastor who was uh, so famous for writing the Christmas Carol, A Little Town of Bethlehem. He said something very profound about the troubles that we face right now. He said, someday in the years to come, you will be wrestling with the great temptation You'll be trembling under, under the great sorrow of your life. But the real struggle is here, now. Now it is being decided whether in the day of your supreme sorrow or temptation, 
you shall miserably fail or gloriously conquer. That thought frightens me and strengthens me at the same time. Somewhere off in the future, I'm going to face the most difficult thing I've ever faced. But how I deal with it then is being decided now and how I deal with the challenges and the struggles I go through now. So what you, should you be doing with your hardship now? You should be letting it take you deeper into God's Word. What should you be doing with your hardship now? You should be letting it take you deeper into fellowship with God's people. What should you be doing with hardship now? You should be letting it serve as a testimony, communicating to other people what God is doing in your life. This is what you should be doing with hardship now. Do that now, and it will help you now. But do that now, and it will prepare you well for the future. Now, some people here, you might say, well, this is great. This is great for people who haven't really faced anything tough in their lives right now. This is great to let them know that they need to prepare them, themselves. They need to prepare their faith and their faithfulness now. But, Pastor, I'm going through the toughest experience I have ever faced right here, right now. Is this sermon for me? And it is. Because, again, Jeremiah was a young, relatively inexperienced prophet when he was taught this new, told this news that he needed to learn in the relatively minor difficulties now so he could face the tougher times in the future. But here's the truth. Here's the encouragement. You can face the tough stuff you're going through now. How do I know that? Because of what God has led you through in the past. All of that was preparation for what you're dealing with here and now. If you're running against the horses now, you look back over all the lesser things that God has brought you through. They now look like lesser things. But God was preparing you. He was stealing you. He was strengthening you so that you can deal with faith and faithfulness what's going on now. The word the psychologists use, like I said, is the word resilient. But the word that the New Testament writers often used was the word endurance. The word endurance in the English language, it comes from a Greek word, hypomones, and that's actually a combination of two words, hypo, which means underneath, and Mones, which can be translated to stay. Hypomones then means to stay underneath. You have this burden placed upon your shoulders and you don't slough it off, you don't quit it, you don't abandon it, you stay underneath, you bear it up, you carry it until the one who put it on your shoulders lifts it off your shoulders again. In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul used that word, hypomones, we translated endurance, and he paired it with another word, in Romans 15, verses 5 and 6, Paul said, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice what Paul called God? He called him the God of endurance and encouragement. We need both, not just one or the other. Pastor Scotty Smith uh, used to have a blog, and all his entries were just prayers. They weren't commentary on the day. They were just prayers. And uh, at one point, reflecting on this very passage, Romans chapter 15, he wrote this prayer to God. I praise you, God, for these twin sisters of grace, endurance, and encouragement. One without the other would simply not be enough. Endurance without encouragement can atrophy into heartless stoicism. Encouragement without endurance can wither 
into short-lived enthusiasm. God give both. Let's ask him to do that now. Would you bow your head and heart in prayer with me? Father, you are the God who gives endurance and encouragement. We need both in our hard times. We need to be tougher than we are to help us endure. But we need to be more joyful and confident inside our tough exterior. So encourage us too. I am awestruck, God, by what Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9 say about Jesus. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What a great mystery those verses reveal, and yet what a great inspiration. God, your son Jesus, grew through his hard times and then became the source of eternal salvation for us. When he died on the cross and ultimate suffering, he was doing so to save us from our sins. I pray for those who need to place their faith in Jesus today. Draw them to yourself. And help all of us who are saved by Jesus to deal with our suffering just as Jesus did, with faith and faithfulness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, How to Live Above Circumstances. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church. Hillcrest.church